You are listening to The Social Hotelier Show, a podcast that inspires hoteliers to create meaningful and memorable experiences for their customers in pursuit of their passion. We share our views and experiences relating to hospitality, technological trends, and also relating to humanity. Here is your host, Sam Eric Rutman. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Social Hotelier Podcast with me, Sam Eric Rutman. We have another great show today. We will discuss about luxury in the context of luxury design and, uh, and many other things. And my guest in this episode is Christoph Doria Di Ciria. He's the co-founder and chief creative officer with Insomni Studio. So welcome, Christoph, and thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. And well done with my name. Uh, I know that's not a very easy one. Uh, <laughs> no, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, it has a melody and flow to it, so it, it took a little bit of practice, but I'm, thank you. I'm glad I, I got it spot on for you. That's perfect. So let's get started. First, for our audience to think a little bit about what your background is and, and experience, could you tell me about your, your, what, about your journey that has led that you finally founded the Insomni Studio? You know, um, I was asked this a couple of days ago by someone wanting to get into the industry. And I felt really embarrassed that um, it's sort of unimpressive and very unintentional. Um, this is all kind of by accident, and I fell into it in a way, um, which I think is natural because this is still an emergent field and there wasn't really a, a clear path to get here. Um, I actually studied international economics um, and I wanted to become a, a trend analyst. That's, that's what I saw for myself. Um, but I graduated during the, you know, the financial crisis. So there weren't very many finance jobs going. Uh, so I took a part-time job uh, with, a, with a graphic design and web studio. Um, and I learned quickly. And then I got an opportunity to work in South Korea. Um, I took opportunities, uh, said yes to everything, even scope creep. Um, and it was in that scope creep, you know, where you just get asked a very simple question, can you do some branding? Now can you do the interior? Now can you do the packaging? Now can you do this? And there was a moment when I realized, hold on, this is all connected. This is all the same thing we're talking about. We're talking about the experience design. Um, we're not siloing them anymore. Uh, it's not a burden to kind of think, oh, I've got to put another hat on. I just changed the perspective. And since then it's really gone uh, strength and strength. So yeah, and I, I actually think this is the way a lot of designers need to think about their, their job. Um, as less specifically specialist and more holistic, especially as we talk about AI coming in, uh, it's going to become more necessary. Yeah, that's interesting. So you worked in South Korea. Yeah. Uh, and I have worked in South Korea also. Now I have to ask you uh, that cultural experience to to work there and uh, how was that? What are the sort of uh, you must have had your antennas out, tried to be very sensitive to, to soak in and understand the, the nuances of the culture. Could you just share some experience? How, how was that? Well, the work culture was a bit of a shock for me. Uh, it's a very intense work culture, uh, very different from the UK. Uh, so I learned a lot quickly, um, but it was great. And I was young and there were lots of opportunities. Um, I, think, I think the biggest thing that I took away from it was looking at things from a different perspective um, and not assuming that your, your preconceived notions of things are the right way. 
Um, it's such a small difference, but having having your expectations and having your your ideas challenged every single day um, really prepares you for this new world that we're entering. <laughs> so that's the biggest thing I took away. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, this is something that uh, uh, whenever you work in a different culture, you, you, you come as a you you will change, and when you go back to the Absolutely. back to UK, for instance, you see you in a very different perspective than how it was when you originally went to South Korea, for for instance. Yeah, when you when you work for um, because I, I read about you and your the articles you write in or the posts in, in LinkedIn, and that's how I initially connected with you. The, can you give a feel of the kind of companies that hire you for their some particular assignments. So, just give a feel of uh, uh, who they, who, what are, the, what kind of uh, industries or what kind of retailing they are they involved with, or hospitality for that matter. So, the majority of what I've done has been with uh, consumer goods. So, that's cosmetics, that's small personal items, uh, and even small luxury goods. Um, in addition to you know bars, restaurants, nightclubs, and some hotels. So that's uh, it's it's quite. A broad church, um, like I said, scope creep. Um, scope creep gives you lots of opportunities to do different things. Um, in in the main, a lot of the work that I do is white label, so it's working with not directly with clients, but with different studios and different agencies, um, as and when they need different skill sets. Yeah. Now, uh, when it comes to some particular brands that you are then. Uh, working with, how do you go about learning that so you get sort of a really true feel of what they're all about, whether it's the uh, culture, vision or purpose, uh, because they are, that, that is something that you must immediately catch on so you, you, you catch the essence and you can do a, a good job for the client. Well, do you know what, I think actually studying economics helped me with that a lot. Um, because you always have to look into the data. That's the first thing that you have to do. Um, but I think the biggest influence actually was my experience working in, in East Asia, Japan and South Korea. Because one perspective that I got, especially helping brands um, position themselves for market entry, is that your brand's idea of itself is not necessarily what different markets want from your brand. Um, so... To give an example, uh, an Italian restaurant might have a particular idea of what Italian dining is and, and the image of itself it wants to present to the world, and that's fine. But also, if you were then putting that in the USA or, or Japan or wherever, that local market is going to have a preconceived idea of what, of what that is. So you also have to tailor it to the expectations of the people who are going to interact with it. So that's the first thing I actually do. I try to figure out what are the, we're calling stereotypes, but what are the conventions that people are expecting and how can we try to meet them? Yeah, but when you take a brand, for instance, that has been around for 100 years, 150 years, uh, you maybe take even uh, one of those uh, luxurious uh, uh, labels out of uh, France or Italy, sure. which are very tradition, and now they have, they have, there's a leap to to uh, 2023, if you will. Uh, how do you go about kind of uh, uh, 
helping them out to move into the today's world and 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 also that they under that it evokes this kind of a uh, for the today's customer that they, they are uh, feel that yeah, this this brand is for me or this product is for me or this experience is for me. I think it's about going back to first principles, really. Um, everything goes back to first principles. So if you strip away all of the gadgets, all of the trends, all of the, you know, the, the top layer, what are you left with? And it always goes back to the question of what are people supposed to feel when they're interacting with your brand? That's the first question I ask. You know, um, everyone likes to get straight to the drawings. Everyone likes to get straight to the concept art. But really, you know, when they enter your store, what is the specific feeling that they have? Is it of, of uh, hope? Is it of uh, aspiration? Is it of comfort? Is it of uh, relaxation? These are the different things we need to ask. And then also you can ask, how do people interact with your brand from an emotional standpoint? Is there a specific time of year that people associate you with? How can you lean into that? What are the feelings around this time of year? Are you a Christmas brand? A lot of perfume brands are specifically, you know, targeted around Christmas giving. So how can you lean into those wider emotions and spread them through the year? Yeah. I mean, this is actually, what you were saying was very interesting because this is what I'm very interested about is that the, the, the most important thing is how you make the customer feel when sure. they walk into your store or walk into the hotel. And this is a, in the hotel industry uh, or in hotel space, if you will, uh, there are huge differences when you walk mm -hmm. into the hotel lobby, uh, how they make you feel. Uh, whether you are welcoming or are you just a room number. And uh, this is one of the things I'm so passionate about that the, uh, the most memorable experiences is, uh, is that how I, how I was made feel uh, when I arrived to hotel or even more importantly, when I was leaving. Yeah. By the time you're paying the bill, for instance, how, how are you made feel? Uh, are you, uh, this is so, so uh, I cannot emphasize more than anything else, this is where, this is a hugely important because the the fact is that you you may just turn around your uh, the feel of how what would you would you come back to that place again because Absolutely. what happened in the last uh, ten seconds when I mean, you were leaving. I think um, if you like, if you look at the theatre, um, it's always the beginning and the end that people remember of a play or a movie or whatever you like. Um, and I think, to a certain degree, it's the same for a hotel. Um, people might have complaints in the middle of a, of a stay or, or certain things that they wish were better. But if you get the introduction and the, and the, you know, and the exit right, people will remember you in a positive way. Um, yeah. And just to kind of add on to onto how people feel, I don't hear it enough how people feel about themselves in an experience. And I know it sounds yeah. quite shallow, um, but you know this is a desire. This is a desire of our customers, and we need to design around it and fulfil it. So let's say hypothetically, um, you were visiting France. Um, let's say you've never visited Europe before. Uh, you had saved up a lot of money, and you wanted to visit Paris. You have an idea of yourself in Paris, a kind of glamour that you want to be fulfilled. And I don't think enough hotels are taking that into account. Um, when you end up going, it feels like an, sort of like an anywhere place a lot of the time. Uh, you're surrounded with other tourists and 
I think a lot of people feel a bit disappointed. Um, they're not having this, and I'm just going to call it the Emily in Paris effect. They're not having this, they're not having this glamour, this fantasy. And that's the main reason why they came, really. Um, yeah. So that's, that's something I, I'm thinking about a lot right now. Yeah, it's a good analogy, this Emily in Paris, because <laughs> this is really what it's all about, that they're, uh, when she arrives to Paris, I mean, this is a, a life which is kind of, uh, very, very, I think it was very well made uh, series, in fact, and sure. that touches a lot of people's nerves. That's what made it perp- uh, so so popular. Yeah. Um, one thing which is quite interesting that uh, you talk about the Christmas period and the perfume uh, brands and, and the, the season for selling perfumes. Of course, many of those uh, brands are online. Sure. And then that experience can be a wonderful experience because you you, you ordered, you paid, you re- received it very quickly. Sure. But there is always that shipper who is responsible to deliver that those goods to you on time. Now, when it happens that, uh, which has happened to someone I know, that uh, the perfume is not arriving, no. it has not arrived, you call the shipping company and they give you sort of a... Uh, a blank answer, which doesn't is not very helpful. Then you contact uh, the friendly customer service uh, person with the, with a the brand. Mm. They also are very sorry, and they also are investigating, and still nothing happened. Yeah. And then one month later, the, you still haven't received your paid shipment. That is unusual. These are very challenging times. How how would you advise the most glamorous perfume brand to deal with these things in order to uh, make a sort of a uh, change that uh, because now you're losing the confidence in the brand mm. that's a very good question that is a really good question um, I would say I haven't experienced anything like that recently but I know that it's something that is a concern for people um, I think I think to go back to this the first thing I could say especially if you're a perfume brand and you do have a, a physical outlet or a concession or, or anything like that The first thing I would do is apologize, of course, and then invite them to come and collect it from a store. Um, And then they could deal with it another way and, uh, you know, they could recoup from the shipping company or something like this. But um, even though it's a hassle for, you know, for your friend, I'm sure that they would prefer to make a trip into into Helsinki, be trapped very nice. Uh, Maybe the, the people at the store can be aware that they're going to arrive, greet them, apologize, show them around and then provide them with the product. This can be a great way of uh, recouping that relationship. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, everyday life in this, uh, uh, during the Christmas time because of, uh, sure. uh, there's a lot of shipping packages and purchases being made online. So, I mean, that's a very good good answer. And I think that's something that uh, uh, I hope that the hotel, the perfume brands and those kind of brands who are having a lot of online sales, they I thought about it and that there is that what I call the damage control is, sure. is well planned. <laughs> I guess in that scenario, there are situations where someone is too remote from any outlets or any, um, any retail location. But I think there is a yeah. significant chunk where that's still viable. And I would always encourage people to come into store. And part of the work that I'm doing is to create a reason for them to do that. <laughs> yeah. Outside from the convenience, they're coming for a specific reason, not just to pick up an object. Yeah, yeah very good. Um, I'd like to move over then to 
the next generation of uh, luxury consumer. I'm very actually interested in uh, your thoughts on this. Uh, uh, how hotels can engage with the next generation luxury co- consumer. And my, my angle actually for this is that uh, there is a, uh, has been a trend for a while where uh, glamping or glux- luxury camping has become very popular, particularly in, in Africa. And uh, in one of my, my, one of my episodes with a uh, developer who is well known for creating these uh, luxury tent mm. camping uh, products, uh, they were very successful in Africa. And now they are realized there is a uh, demand for this in the United States. Yeah. And now they are able to open up a, uh, a luxury camping site in, I think it's in Utah. Mm. And Aman runs it. Oh, beautiful. The average oh, daily rate is... I've seen the project, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, they, they, the average daily rate is uh, between four to 5,000 US. That's yep. an experience. So it's a luxury experience, very detailed, very thought of, and uh, they are uh, operating with a uh, 90% occupancy. So it's a clearly a very successful operation. So my question is that, uh, and this was actually not uh, this was mentioned by the, the person I had a discussion with, uh, Luca Franco, who is in, in one of my episodes, uh, the founder of uh, Luxury Frontiers. At, uh, people uh, are not anymore, or lesser degree, they're collecting things, sure. but what they are doing, they're collecting experiences, yeah. and they're willing to pay for that experience, whatever it is, because it's something that will stay with them for a long time. So my question is, that how does this relate to maybe the next generation? Is that something that you see is a... Uh, could you speak about what you, your perception of this thought is? So uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is the infamous quote by uh, Klaus Schwab, you will own nothing and be happy. Um, it got kind of a bad rap. Um, it was put in a sort of ominous light, but I don't think it's ominous at all. I think it's actually very sensible. Um, I think there is both a cultural, economic and environmental reason for minimising the consumerism that has, you know, for me, has gone a little bit overboard now. Um, it's it's happening anyway. Um, from an environmental point of view, it's just not tenable to to have twenty pairs of shoes or to have you know fifteen different coats uh, or change out your living room uh, design every year. It's just not viable. Um, I think as well. You know, I've got a niece. She's seven years old now. She's much more interested in her Roblox skins than she is in her shoes or the clothes that she wears. And I know that's just one anecdote, but I do yeah. think it's a it's a taste of the future. I do genuinely believe that um, that of course people are going to want things. Of course they are, but I think those things are going to be much more specific, uh, much higher quality, and just more meaningful, really. Um, and everything else is experience. Because if you think, why do we buy? A, why do we buy something? Um, we buy something because we want to feel something. Um, yeah. yeah. Sure, there are people who are genuine collectors and collect things for the pleasure of it. And that's never going to go away. But a lot of the times, let's say, uh, let's say a female consumer wants to buy a handbag. Uh, an aspirational luxury consumer wants to buy a handbag. Why is she buying that handbag? She might buy that handbag because she got a promotion 
at work and she wants to treat herself. Now, why is she doing that? She's doing it because she wants to feel something. She wants to feel proud of herself. She wants to have a sense of accomplishment and self-actualization. And you can get the same feeling without having the object. Um, so I just, uh, I think it's cutting out the middleman in a way. <laughs> it's getting straight to the experience without the, yeah. the product. That's very, very, I think very well said, because I just uh, now looked at, looked at the mirror about myself. When I, when I graduated from university, oh no, when I got my first job uh, and uh, I had saved up, I bought, bought my first watch. And then when I graduated from university, I bought a watch. And so there has been some uh, kind of uh, very important uh, phases in my life that, that the watch is. And when I, when I look at it, it brings me the memories of the 